I'm ready for a good day. How about you? I was getting pretty excited about some of the stuff that we're going to get into here today. <laughs> and as we get into some of these things, faith may build up on the inside of you to change something on the inside of you. And I want you to know if that happens, we're ready to, to meet that faith with prayer or whatever it is that needs to go on. We're going to see some good things happen. We're going to be over in Acts chapter 3 today. I saw this story. How do you decide whom to marry? How do you decide whom to marry? But this is written by kids. So Alan, age 10, wrote this. You've got to find someone who likes the same stuff. Like, if you like sports, she should like it that you like sports. And she should keep the chips and dip coming. Christian, age 10, says, No person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it all the way before, and you get to find out later who you're stuck with. <laughs> what is the right age to get married? Uh, 23 is the best age because you know the person forever by then. That was Camille, age 10. Derek, age 8, answered the question this, this way. How can a stranger tell if two people are married? How can a stranger tell if two people are married? Derek says, you might have to guess based on whether they seem to be yelling at the same kids. <laughs> Lori, age 8, answered this question. Why do you think your mom and dad, what, what do you think your mom and dad have in common? Both don't want any more kids. Here's the question. What do most people do on a date? Lynette, age eight, says, Dates are for having fun and people should use them to get to know each other. Even boys have something to say if you listen long enough. <laughs> Martin, age 10, said this. On the first date, they just tell each other lies and that usually gets them interested enough to go on for a second date. Another question. What would you do on a first date that was... What would you do on a first date that was turning sour? Craig, age nine, said, I'd run home and play dead. <laughs> the next day, I would call all the newspapers to make sure they wrote about me in all the dead columns. <laughs> Another question, when is it okay to kiss someone? Pam, age seven, says, when they're rich. <laughs> Kurt, age seven, says, the law says you have to be 18, so I wouldn't mess with that. <laughs> Howard, age eight, said, the rule goes like this. If you kiss someone, then you should marry them and have kids with them. It's the right thing to do. <laughs> Is it better to be single or married? It's better for girls to be single, but not for boys. Boys need someone to clean up after them. <laughs> that was Anita, age nine. How would the world be different if people didn't get married? Kelvin, age eight, said this. There should be a lot of kids to explain, wouldn't there? <laughs> How would you make a marriage work? Ricky, age 10, says, tell your wife that she looks pretty even if she looks like a truck. <laughs> oh, my. Boy, you can get some fun answers out of this. Last week, we were looking at some things, some problems that came up, and certainly these are some solutions to some problems that may or may not work. But as we've been looking over this, this uh, series here, Steady or Stubborn, 
our goal was to find out, am I steady in the things of God or am I stubbornly sticking to the wrong things? And we need to make sure that we're in the right spot with that. We've been dealing with, in this section of it, on frustration. And we saw how Jesus came in and he calmed the storm a number of weeks ago. And how he calmed the storm by speaking to the wind. But we noticed that not all of our problems are wind problems. Not all of our problems are waves and storms. Sometimes we have problems with people. People can be a problem. And so last week we began looking at people problems. And we saw how Jesus handled people problems with the woman with the issue, or I'm sorry, not the, with the uh, man with the withered hand. And they, he came in and they were all in there on the Sabbath day and the Pharisees and the teachers were all looking at Jesus, seeing what he would do with the man on the Sabbath day. They didn't care that he got healed. They, got, they cared that he got healed on the Sabbath because that was against their law. And so Jesus answered them, is it good to do, or is it, is it right to do good or is it lawful? Is what he said. Is it lawful to do good or evil? on the Sabbath, to kill a life or to save it. And they couldn't answer him. And so what we did was we studied that story to find out how do you handle people problems. And we saw that one of the things that Jesus did when he was handling people problems is he does not speak to the wind. When you are dealing with spiritual problems, supernatural problems, problems from the enemy, you speak to the wind and the wind obeys. When you're dealing with people problems, he didn't do that. Demon spirits, evil spirits, Satan's kingdom, so forth, must listen if you use the name of Jesus. But how many of you know that people don't? And if you speak to each problem the same way, you're going to be in a fix. So we looked at how Jesus handled the problem with this one. And we saw, of course, Jesus is just masterful at it. And they couldn't figure out what to say. And so he went ahead and healed the man. And they all went out and decided on the Sabbath how they might kill him. That makes a whole lot of sense, doesn't it? But when frustration sets in, how many of you remember this? Three things. When, fresh, when frustration sets in, we feel powerless, confused, or unjustly treated. Whenever we feel powerless to change a situation, we feel frustrated. Frustration, it's a breeding ground for frustration to come in. That's the number one reason for feeling frustrated is because you feel powerless. Number two reason is because you're confused. You don't know what to do. Number three reason is because you have been unjustly treated. One, you don't know how to act. One, you don't feel you can act. And another one, you feel acted upon. And these create frustrations for us. We saw that frustrations arise when we do not, when we do what we know to do with all diligence and fail to get the results that we need. We think that God ought to make up for our effort because we gave it a good shot. And He ought to just make up for what's lacking there. The disciples were facing that with the waves in the boat, and we face that in other places as well. Frustration can come by using the wrong tools for the task at hand. It can come by using the right tools in the wrong way. It can come by using no tools or from simply doing nothing. We also looked at the difference between anger and frustration. Anger is directed at us for the purpose of change or correction. And frustration builds in us for the purpose of dismay, discouragement, and dysfunction. Now, as we get over here to Acts chapter 3, as I was thinking about this, I, I, was, I thought, you know, Acts chapter 3, chapter 3 and chapter 4, it's probably one of my favorite Bible stories. And then I thought about it, and you know, I have about a hundred favorite Bible stories. <laughs> That's my top favorite Bible stories. Oh, I'll tell you, the story of creation, 
Oh, I love that story. Story of David and Goliath. I I go back to that over and over and over to see the things that are are there. Because we've so often just looked at the surface things. We haven't really dug into the deep, what God is teaching us out of that. And that lesson, we can learn stuff from that every day. Oh, I love that story. Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael. Oh, their story was absolutely phenomenal. Being thrown into the fiery furnace. The declarations that they make. Samuel. How many stories do we have with him? Jesus with the woman with the issue of blood. Blind Bartimaeus. Oh, the list just keeps on going on. You just, they're just, oh, I just get excited. But this is one of those ones I get excited about. Now, last week we looked at people problems. And we saw how Jesus handled it. And you probably went home and said, yeah, but I'm not Jesus. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, can you, can you line up with Peter? We can line up with Peter, can't we? We saw how many times Peter fell and how many times Peter missed it and, and things that Peter... We can line up at least with Peter. Let's see what Peter did. And now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the, at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, which is about three o'clock in the afternoon. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms for those who entered the temple. This man is around 40 years old, so how long has he been lame? 40 years. <laughs> That's it. He was lame from his mother's womb. Now, remember the disciples came upon a lame man? And remember what they asked Jesus about the lame man? Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? We've evaluated that story before and we showed you Jesus is not saying that anybody sinned. He is simply saying neither. And that's his answer, neither. And we went on and we talked about that. What he's saying is, this is a situation where the power of God is going to come out. The power of God was to set the man free, not to have him bound up and being, being lame. That's not the power of God. And so they went over and he healed him. But what I want, brought that up for is this. The disciples thought that. Where did they get that from? Well, who did they learn from before Jesus came along? Pharisees, Sadducees, and the teachers of the law and so forth. So... The prevailing thought that is being taught in their synagogues is that people who are born with a problem is a result of sin. That either the parents sinned or that that person sinned if they were born in a condition. If that's, that kind of thought is there, what do you want to bet this guy has that thinking? Now, I want to t- tell you something. He's 40 years old. How long ago was it that Jesus was ministering in this part of the country? month, two months. It was not long. Jesus has been here. How many times do you think Jesus passed by the gate? Beautiful. So our question is, why didn't this man get healed sooner? There has to be a reason, isn't there? How many people did Jesus heal when they brought them to be healed? All of them. If people asked for things, how many did he take care of? All of them. So why is it that this man... Now here, I just start meditating on this story and then begin to think about it. Why does this man not receive from Jesus' ministry? Why does he survive when Jesus has gone by there a number of times? Here's the other thing. Peter and John would have been with him. So why is it that this day is going to be different for this man? Well, let's think about it. If he was taught all the way coming up on, the, on this that someone was, was sinned or you sinned before you were born and God has put this on you for that. How many of you are thinking really good thoughts about God? How many of you are getting a little bitter and anger? Angry at that. Now, you think about your own situation. How many of you have things going on in your life that you think are God's fault? Well, God made me this way. 
Well, God put me in this situation. Well, God had me... Hmm. So you start doing that, you feel powerless. You feel powerless, what comes in? Frustration, that's a breeding ground for bad things. You feel powerless to change it. This man could have been told... He was brought by other people every day. We saw that there were some people who brought lame people to Jesus. Why didn't these people bring the lame man to Jesus instead of at the beautiful gate to ask for alms? The only reason that I can possibly come up with, because obviously they had affection for this man, that you would bring him to the gate every day, that takes dedication. You're not just putting him in your car and driving him on over. You're carrying him. And that takes some effort. Somehow, these people must have had something against Jesus. Were there people in Jesus' day that had something against them? And they're probably bringing them. Well, who's this Jesus? Oh, you don't want to go near him. Jesus, he's, he's, a, he's evil. He's, and they must have filled him with some of these things. So when he saw Jesus come by, he must have been resistant to it. I don't want to get anything from Jesus. He's evil. He's bad. And he must have been res- That's all I can think of that he doesn't get healed up till now. It's not Jesus' fault. Jesus would do it. Jesus had the anointing. Lame people have been healed before. Something has to go on inside the attitude of this person. And he stayed away from that. Whenever we get to heaven, we'll find out what the real reason was if that wasn't it. But he's been lame for life. He goes to the gate for a purpose. What's his purpose in going to the gate? To ask alms for the people. Is his purpose to receive alms? It doesn't say that, does it? I want you, this is huge. This is big. He goes to ask alms of the people. How many of you have ever witnessed somebody on the street asking alms, asking for money? Do they get something from everyone? When you don't receive something from everyone, what do you expect to receive from most people? Nothing. Your expectation is shaped that from most people, I will receive Nothing. But my expectation is I am going to ask alms of people. I'll tell you what, folks. People in prayer, I'll get, get word of this. A lot of people come to God in prayer to ask, not to receive. And that's bad news. The people who, went, who came up to Jesus did not ask for things. They came to receive things. The woman with the issue of blood, did she come to ask for healing? No, she came to receive blind Bartimaeus did he come to ask he came to receive they came to receive from Jesus not to ask most Christians today go to God to ask not to receive if you went to the gate to receive alms from the people you're expecting that everybody's coming to bring you something but he didn't he came to ask them small word huh Can you see the meaning of that a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried and when they laid, lay daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Can you imagine how low your expectations must be if every day you go to ask things from people and most say no? So he saw Peter and, and John. And he, what does he do? He asks alms of them. Who's seen Peter and John about to go into the temple, ask for alms. Now, think about, picture this. How is he asking for alms? 
is he saying, oh, this is Peter and John. They got money. Oh, I'm going to expect something now. I'm going to ask. No, how does he do it? Alms. 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 Is he expecting to receive anything? No. He is asking. Can you see the problem that James and John have? Or Peter and John have? He is only asking. He is not expecting. He's only asking. So how does he ask them? With expectation or habitually and routinely? Probably out of habit routine. Alms, alms, alms. Verse 4, And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. Some translations say, Look on us. Whatever it is, he's getting their attention. He's not just going to walk on by and throw something into the cup. He's saying, look at us. He didn't say, look at me. He said, look at us. Look at us. I got John here. Peter's doing the talking. He's, he's looking at him. Now, if you are ums, 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 and all of a sudden somebody stops and says, look at me. What happens to you on the inside? <gasps> this isn't going to be normal. Instantly on the inside of this man, expectation has built simply by Peter saying, look on us. He looks up and says, oh. he, he is not focused. Is he focusing on anybody else right now? Is he go, ums, ums, just in case anybody else might pass him? No, he is. He's got their attention. These guys want to do something with me. You got my attention. So he's blocked out all the rest of them now. He's blocked out his habitual ums. Alms. He says, look on us. And he builds an expectation. And fixing his eyes on him with John and Peter, he said, look on us. Now, we sometimes think of God the way we think of other people. We sometimes relate to God the way we relate to other people. With other people, we may receive from, peop from other people out of guilt and routine. How many of you know you've received from other people out of guilt? They felt bad for you. They felt bad for the situation. Out of routine, they've always done it. You ever go through one of the car washes? And the guy at the end is hand toweling the thing? And what do you do? Do you get a dollar ready? Something ready to give him? Because has he done a good job yet? <laughs> Hasn't done anything yet, has he? <laughs> Why do you get the dollar out? Routine. That's what should be done. We give a lot of times out of routine. We get it out of habit. We give out of obligation. People will give out of need. But that's not God. But with God, it's from expectation and it's faith. With God, it comes from expectation and faith. It does not come any other way. How many times did Jesus say to people who received the healing under, under Him when He was ministering out there, and they, what did He say to them? Your faith has healed you. He called attention to what they did. Your faith has healed you. The woman with the issue of blood. Was Jesus involved? Not really. <laughs> He's just walking on out. No big deal. I got this from uh, Willie George listening to this week. Uh, I wrote it down. I put it in your bulletin, but I realize some of you don't always read the bulletin, so I put it in your outline here too. It was going to get cut if I ran out of room, but I had enough room and I kept it in there. Otherwise, I'm just going to say, look at your bulletin. But he said this, declaration comes before deliverance. 
it's just a nice, concise way to, to put it. We've heard that type of thing many times. But declaration comes before deliverance. We're not used to that, folks. We're not used to de- declaring things. It's, it's out of our nature. Here's a great verse. I put this verse in your bulletin. Right next to the quote. But I'm going to read it here for you because this is so good. I want you to see this. Again, one of my favorite stories. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcass of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. And all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. He's not just declaring, I'm going to defeat you, Philistine. I'm going to defeat all of them. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Is he not declaring before deliverance? When Jesus, when Jesus came down and created the earth, because all things are created by Him, what does He say? Let there be. Now the earth was already created. He's just calling the, 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 the forces that were brought to light to the earth before to do it again. He separated the waters. He declared it first and then it happened. Daniel in the lion's den declared it first and then he was delivered. His three buddies declared it first. And then they were delivered. Paul, over in um, Acts chapter uh, 20 and verse 10, he comes, remember the man who fell out of the the, uh, window and died? And Paul comes on down and prays over him, lays on top of him and such. And then he gets up and the guy's still on the ground. And he says, come on, don't don't be fussing about it. His life is in him. What did he do? He declared it first. You've got stories all over the place where it happens first. Jesus, when he came to the Jerusalem, what does he say? The Son of Man must be delivered, crucified, and will be raised up on the third day. Had it happened yet? Had not happened yet, but he declared it. He gets in front of Lazarus' tomb and says, Lazarus, come forth. Is Lazarus still in the tomb? Lazarus, come forth. He comes out of the tomb. How many times do we see the example in the Word? This is how it is. De- declaration and then deliverance. But we don't, we don't follow it that way. Now, we constantly do make declarations. Sometimes they're about what we have. Sometimes they're about how things have been. Some things, sometimes we make declarations for how things are now. All that God says is make a declaration for how you see it coming. Oh, but that's not happened yet. We've used the example before. Certainly you know it. When you're at home, and the temperature outside is 20 degrees and the temperature inside the house is 55, you're not happy. So what do you do? You call for a change. You go over to the thermostat and what do you do? You raise it up to maybe 70 degrees, but it's not 70 degrees. So why do you set your temperature to 70 degrees if it's not 70 degrees? Because you're calling for a change. David called for a change. Jesus called for a change. Paul called for a change. Elisha called for a change. Elijah called for a change. Samuel called for a change. All these folks called for a change. And when they called for the change, the change came. Stop saying what you have. And declare the change that you see from the Word of God. Abraham was... Born into this earth named Abram. 
And God says, I will make you a father of many nations and eventually change his name to, which means, which means God says, I want you to go around and I want you to tell people when you have no kids, I am the father of many. Hi, what's your name? I'm father of many. What's your name? Oh, how many kids you got? None. But I'm father of many. Declare, 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 declare. But it's not happened yet. Doesn't Jesus teach us? Believe those things that you say and you will have them. Verse 5. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. He went from a place of habit and routine to now he's expecting. (laughs) So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from him. It does not say what he expected to receive. It just said he expected to receive something. More than likely, he's expecting to receive. But Peter and John can work with this. The man is now expecting. He's expecting. In Luke chapter 8, verse 49, while he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, do not be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. Oh, we got to focus on that. Jesus was so important for Jesus that he says, no, 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 don't, don't you be afraid. You came to me expecting something, stay with it. Stay with it. So he gave him his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. Oh, but before he can lose his expectation, but what I do have, I give you. Oh, all right, it's not silver and gold. Maybe, you know, it's a, <laughs> they might be thinking, trying to think of what else could it be. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, if he had a problem with the name of Jesus or with Jesus of Nazareth and he heard his name, he could all of a sudden go back into his non-expectation, uh, non-expectation of Jesus. But before he gets a chance, what happens? And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. He kept he had him in that spot of expectation. And he only had him in that place of expectation for a minute. And a lame man, born lame, for 40 years he was lame, was healed. For one minute of being in expectation. You see the power of that? Now here's what really is neat thing about this. This man was lame from, his, from the womb. When did he learn to walk? He's never walked. And yet, the strength not only comes to his feet and ankle bones and knees and hips and everything else, but he knows how to walk. Never has walked, but he knows how to walk. He not only walks, he runs and leaps. (laughs) And it says that he entered the temple with them. Now, I want you to picture this. If you have not walked for 40 years... Do you have some other places that you might want to go to beside the temple? <laughs> you haven't walked for 40 years. You haven't gone any place on your own ever. You may have had some unkind things to think about God for the reason for you being in that condition. You want to go in the temple? Now, he's been 40 years lame. Is it suddenly now God's will that he get healed? Or was, it, was it God's will that he not be healed all those years, 40 years? God is not moved by need. He is moved by faith and expectation. 
He is not moved by need. You can go to him pleading all you want to. Oh, look at the need. Oh, look how faithful I've been. Oh, look at this. Look at this. Oh, what's he moved by? Faith and expectation. That's what we need to, to focus on. But he walks into the temple with them. Doesn't need to beg in alms, I guess he feels anymore. Does he have a job? No? Does he have money? <laughs> probably not. If you're going to sit there all day begging of alms, probably don't have any money. Now look at this. What does Peter speak? Does Peter speak to the wind? No. What's he speak? He speaks the truth. Remember, you have a problem with the enemy. You have a problem with something in the spirit realm. You speak to the wind. You have a problem with people. You speak the truth. Speak the truth. Verse 11. Now as the man, the lamb, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch. Now he doesn't, he's not hanging on to them because he can't walk because he's already running and leaping. He's hanging on to them and said, man, you guys are great. <laughs> I appreciate you guys. All the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. Well, you know, if they had cell phones, everyone would have been texting around. The lame man's walking! <laughs> if he had a Facebook page, it would have been posted up on Facebook. And the word just would have spread. But they didn't have all that, so they just, you know, whispered down the lane. And people heard it and came running. Now, as a lame man who was healed, held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed... So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we had made this man, man to walk? Peter is saying it's not because we're super godly. It's not because we have any extra power. We gave you what we had and what we had was given to us. Jesus told him, he says, freely you have received, freely give. And they did. They gave it freely. But they understood they have it. You got to have it to give it. You got to know you have it to give it. Now, as the lame man who was healed, held on. Oh, you already said that. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the men of Israel. Why do you marvel? Whenever God moves, people marvel. Oh, I can't believe God moved. Oh, that's just... Verse 13, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murder to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life with God, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Not need, but faith in his name. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did, did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. He's speaking to the group of people that came gathering. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that the time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. This is the same group of people who is calling for Barabbas. And that he may send Jesus Christ, who is who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of the restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up, raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul 
who will not hear the prophets shall be utterly destroyed among the people. And yes, all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, also have foretold these days. You are the sons of the prophet and of the covenant which God made our fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning away every one of you from your iniquities. What does Peter speak? The truth. Because he's dealing with people. In verse uh, 1 of chapter 4, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the, guard, temp, the captain of the temple, the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, we got the same people, just different problems. When Jesus was healing the, the man with the withered hand, the problem was healing on the Sabbath. But now we got a new problem. They're not so much bothered by the healing, they're bothered by the fact that they are preaching not just Jesus, resurrection. Now you look at the group that is there. The group is the Sadducees. The Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection, which is why they are sad, you see. <laughs> that always helps me remember. <laughs> I don't know that I keep them all straight otherwise, but that's why they're sad, you see. Because they don't believe in the resurrection. Well, you'd be sad too if you didn't believe you are going to, have to be resurrected. So they were upset at that. The Pharisees were upset about the law that was being broken in their minds because the man was being healed on the Sabbath. They're upset because, what are you doing preaching about this resurrection? And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Now, I called this section peaked. And you may not be as familiar with this particular use of the word when you hear it, but of course it's spelled differently. It means to affect with sharp irritation and resentment, especially by some wound to pride. That just seemed to be perfect. It is to wound the pride, vanity, to excite interest or curiosity or to arouse an emotion or provoke to action is what this word is meaning. These, these Sadducees were certainly piqued. So they arrested in the temple for doing something good or for something bad. Well, they got a man healed. He was lame from birth. And they preached Jesus. In our mind, it's good. Sadducees' mind, bad. And it came to pass on the next day. So they came, arrested him, put him in prison. And they came back the next day. So where did they spend the night? In jail. That's what you get. See, a lot of us are brought up that way. That's what you get for doing a good deed. Have you ever heard the thing, no good deed goes unpunished? <laughs> no, that's ridiculous. And it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, there's a huge story in this. We, did, we went over this one um, resurrection weekend about the, the messed up rulership that is going on right now, and it's all right there in that verse, but it just doesn't jump out at you. But I'll tell you what, this, this tells you, you got a high priest who was removed, his son was put in his place, and he's still the acting high priest is basically what you got. It is a terrible situation, and they're walking in, in the midst of this. So Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. This is a very powerful family. Ever have families that come to a place of power and just abuse it? 
That is the family of Annas and Caiaphas. They abused power harsh. They are hardly at all godly. And when they had sent them in the midst, remember where the man last week, he sat in the midst. These guys come in the midst. They asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? By what power or by what name have you done this? We've heard that before, haven't we? Now, just to review, the power of the false, the power of the darkness, its power is in the illusion that most people follow or believe it. That's where the power comes from. That's why I tell you all the time, turn the news people off. The news people are not about reporting news. They're about shaping opinions. They're about getting you to believe that the majority of people believe this way when they don't. They do not. Don't listen to them. They do polls and you think, oh, it's just a poll. No, you're hearing things that 65%, 59%, whatever it is, believe this. They never tell you the sampling. They're they're trying to hide that a lot of times. I don't even know if they even give you the true results. Because what they want you to believe is that a lot of people believe this. Because the power of the false is in the illusion that most people believe it or follow it. That's where its power comes from. The power of the light is in the truth. When you're dealing with evil people, we went over last week, the goal is to expose their false premise, to expose their false teaching, to expose their false intentions so that those around can follow the light. Verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, If we this day are judged for a good deed done in a done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, <laughs> I mean, that's almost fighting words right there. Whom you cru- He's not talking to a group of people saying your rulers did it. He's saying, he's not saying you did it in ignorance. He's talking to the rulers right now, the very people who were in the room with Jesus. High priest is there. Let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. This is a stone which was rejected by the you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So what does Peter speak? He does not speak to the wind. Like Jesus did in the storm, he speaks to he speaks the truth. Going very along with what we saw with Jesus doing the last week. Does Peter speak the truth with the intention of changing the leader's mind? Did Jesus speak the truth with the intention of changing the Pharisee's mind that healing was okay on the Sabbath? No. He spoke the truth to illuminate to the people that most people don't believe this. And without the power of the numbers, the Pharisees exited because they had no power. He exposed it. That most people don't believe this way. Once they don't have that, there is no more power. And they left the room to find out a way that they could kill him. With here, with with, with, uh, John and Peter, all they're trying to do is expose the fact of bringing the light in and that most people are not going to believe this. They have it. This man was healed. By the power of the, main, the, uh, the name of the man you crucified. And his proof that his power is ongoing. 
Now we're jumping ahead here a little bit, but if you went on down to verse 16, they will say this, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all and we cannot deny it. In other words, we can't get the power back because the power is simply in the numbers of people who believe the lie. That's all there is to it. Now when they saw, verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Oh, the people would realize that about us. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men for a deed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, in other words, so that more people don't believe this and we lose the power we have from them, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. Now, how many of y'all think they might want to beat them? But if they came out of the presence of the rulers of the synagogue, having been beaten for healing a man lame from birth after 40 years, what's that going to do? going to change public opinion against them if they simply go out and say well they said this well we don't know that but if they have beaten beatings on them marks on their body can't deny that so they don't do that but so that it spreads no further among the people let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name do peter and john have a problem with people <laughs> yeah sadducees priests whoever else is in the room People who are not of the truth are caught up with what they see and what they can cause others to see. That's what they're caught up with. What is it that I see and what is it that I can get you to see? That's all I care about. But truth, understand this from Jesus. This is huge if you get this. Truth is heard, not seen. Truth is heard. It is not seen. That is why Jesus says, Blessed are you who believe without seeing. Because when you hear the truth and recognize it as truth, there's a higher level than people who see something. Cannot see the truth, but you can hear it and you can believe it. I'm not talking see it spiritually. I'm talking about see it physically. And they called them, verse 18, and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus, but Peter and John answered and said to them, all right, we've got a problem with people. What should we do? Should we speak to the wind or should we speak the truth? Speak the truth. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to, or to listen to you more than to God, you judge. <laughs> you tell us what's better. Should we listen to God or should we listen to you? How can you answer that? But is that not speaking the truth? For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen, the things we've seen with Jesus, and heard the truth we have heard. So when they heard, when they further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people. I can't beat them because the people will see that. <laughs> Since they all glorify God for what had been done. 
We can't discount this as being God. We're going to lose power from the people because they won't believe us. Our power is in them believing us, not in the truth. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. So Peter and John answered them. They spoke the truth. They spoke the truth. Now here's the, here's the part here at the end. Truth is neither desired or understood by those in darkness. Truth is neither desired nor understood by those in darkness. People who are caught up in darkness do not desire the truth and they cannot see it. So for you to sit there and try and convince people in darkness about the truth will put you into a frustrating situation because you are powerless to change a person in darkness and their belief. You cannot do it. All you can do is put the truth out there. If they want to hang on to their darkness, that is their, they can do it. If they want to embrace the truth, they can embrace the light. Jesus does not chase after the Pharisees out of the synagogue. James and Peter do not chase after the leaders, the Sadducees and the priests to try and get them to believe. They're basically writing them off. Hey, you tell us what we should believe. We're going to go out here to the people and teach them the truth. We're going to declare things in the name of Jesus. And they know they want nothing to do with it. Jesus got to the point in his ministry where he stopped teaching in plain truth and he taught in parables simply because they don't want to change. They're not going to see the light. So I'm not going to make them responsible for it. And he talked to them in parables. If Jesus did not try and change people in darkness, we can't either. But we get ourselves into a frustrating situation because I try and change people who are caught up in darkness. If they're in darkness, they choose to be. People choose to be in darkness. It's their own decision. If you want to decide that, go on ahead. I'm going to believe the Word of God. I'm going to believe the light of the Word of God. You just go on, believe in the light. And, you know, you get into a room and you're in darkness. And other people are out there and they're stumbling over stuff and they're tripping over stuff and they're having a tough time getting through life and you're just going on through. Glory to God. How do you manage through life? How is it that you always stay happy and peaceful and joyful? How is that possible? I'm in the light. I'm in the light. And problem comes up. Light exposes it. I see it. I just, I just go around it. You trip over it. How tough would it be to live a life where you keep tripping over stuff? Keep fumbling over things. I mean, banging your shins into things. and ah, it's, it's no good. It's no good. We don't need it. We have the light. Can't make other people follow the light. If they don't want to follow the light, well, yeah. all right. But don't put yourself in a situation where you're powerless. How many of y'all know people who want to believe darkness, who are living lives in terrible sin and terrible bondage and and they don't want to get out of it? How many of you know Christians that are into gossip and griping and complaining and tearing people down and fussing and feuding? And their lives resemble it, don't they? I mean, they're miserable. They're unhappy. They don't see the light of the gospel the way you see the light of the gospel. It's like, what can you do? Well, you just tell them. You, know, you can walk in the light. 
<laughs> you don't have to, but you can. It's there. Not because I'm anybody special, just like Peter and John. <laughs> don't, don't think we're more godly and more powerful than anybody else. No, nope, we're just walking in light. That's it. Truth is neither desired or understood by those in darkness. They don't want it. They don't, they don't understand it. They have willfully put themselves in darkness. But you're going to find some of those people that are in a, they're going the way of darkness and you start talking about light and they light up. Oh, tell me more. Hey, that's the person you go after. Go after those folks. One more thing. Until they come to grips with the darkness they are in, you got to understand this. If you understand this, you will understand the problems that you have with people. Until they come to grips with the darkness that they are in, light is an enemy. Until the people who are in darkness come to grips with the darkness that they are in, light is an enemy. That's why they attack it the way they do. Why do you think people come after folks who believe in a Creator the way they do? Because light is an enemy. Why is it that anything to do with the name of Jesus in this country is persecuted, but nothing with all the other religions? Because light is an enemy. Why is it that Christians are such prime targets and anyone else can live any way they want to? Because light is an enemy. To those in darkness, light is an enemy. What you have to understand is that in problems with people, some of it is just because you are an enemy because you're in light. Just smile, glory to God. <laughs> Just be like John and Paul, or uh, John and Peter, standing before the group. They have all kinds of power to do all sorts of stuff to them. Said, so, "What should we do? Obey you or obey God?" <laughs> I think we'll obey, we'll obey God. We'll do what He says to do. All we can do is declare the things we have both seen and heard. But when you walk in the light and you hear truth, you you lap it up. Oh, give me more truth. More truth. Because the more truth you bring in, the more light. The more light. Do you know that you can you don't just walk in light, there are degrees of it? There are degrees of it. There are there are, you, you can walk in, in light greater. The the disciples were taught things by Jesus and they didn't understand it. Because they only walked in so much light. But you can walk in more. There's more light to be had out there. Let me show you something. Maybe it'll help you out with this. I got this little sucker right here. I carry this around everywhere I go. Now, it's tiny. Everybody know what it is? It's a flashlight. It is a flashlight, but I will put this up to most every other flashlight that most people buy in the, in the hardware stores and such things like that because this little sucker will outdo whatever you probably have at home. This is brighter. This is stronger. And it's more easily controlled. And I have more options with it than most other flashlights have. Have you ever been to our house? If I stand outside the side of, side of our house and shine this flashlight, it will light up the trees on the far end of our yard. This little flashlight. I can see the trees at the far end of the yard. This little flashlight. You know what the power source for this little flashlight is? A single little AA battery. I bought it specifically because it's small. It fits in my pocket. When I come in here on Sunday morning, when I go around different places, it's dark. But not for me. I 
pull this out. And it's one touch to the back of this thing comes right on. Has a high setting, has a low setting. I can get there just a touch of a button. If I put it on the high setting and I shined it in your face, you would be blinded. It is that powerful. It's actually a defense. Somebody comes in and breaks into your house, you can shine a flashlight like this in their face and they could not see you to shoot you. They try and shoot it to light, I guess, or something like that, but <laughs> sucker is a powerful little thing. Didn't cost much either. But you see, I got it small because I want to always carry it around. If you ever see me in the shop over at uh, home, it's always in my pocket. If I go to take the dog out at night, got the flashlight. Wherever I go at nighttime, get in a little spot, I can put the flashlight on, I can see it. Because it's light. Because things are more visible in the light. When you get accustomed to being in the light. Now let me tell you what, I went for years without a nice little flashlight like this. I had one of those little magnet lights that went on your keychain that if you shined it three feet up from there, you couldn't see it. <laughs> it didn't do much good at all. But when I got one a hold of one of these things and I go out at nighttime to take the dog out or I go out in the shop or a different place in this dark and I have this, once I got used to the light, I am not happy in darkness. Anytime I am in darkness, I could see before. I could get around things, but anytime I am in darkness, you know what the first thing I do? I grab my flashlight because it's always on me. And I pull my flashlight out and I shine the flashlight because everything is easier in the light. The more light you walk in in the Word of God, the easier life is. Oh, it's become so much easier because you have the light and you know what to do. If you walk in darkness... You don't know. Grow in the light. When you're dealing with people, you pronounce the truth. When you do that, some people will hate you. Some people will be drawn to you. Some people won't care. <laughs> it don't matter. You can't win them all. Jesus didn't win them all. You're not going to do any better. What you are going to do is those people who are looking for light are going to come over to you. Those people who are repelled by the light, who see it as the enemy, are going to go away. And it's really easy for you to discern who you should hang out with and who you shouldn't. <laughs> you can try and minister to people in the darkness, but hang out and get close to the people who like the light. Those are the ones you want to get around. Would you all stand up with me? Oh, I hope we're all walking in light. It seems like every day we can go into the Word of God and the Word of God opens up more to us and we walk in more light. And what was unknown to us before as to how to handle certain people and what to do, I know now. You can go through the Word of God and you can find how many times people dealt with people issues and they just spoke the truth. Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael stood before the king and the king said, if you bow down, bow down now, I will not throw you into the fiery furnace. And what did they say? <laughs> I don't care how many times you... We aren't bowing. We aren't doing it. What did they do? They spoke the truth. Did they care about who liked it and who didn't? Did Daniel care about who liked the truth and who didn't? He spoke the truth. Does Peter care about who likes the truth and who doesn't? Does Paul care about who likes the truth and who doesn't? Does Jesus care about who likes the truth and who doesn't? They spoke the truth. When you speak the truth, you will have problems with people. But you also solve some others. But the, the word that Jesus told us himself. People, men, will hate you because of the word's sake.
So if people don't like you, you're probably doing okay. <laughs> you're all right. Just keep on going. Because you know what? The one that matters? Jesus. He's the one that matters. Jesus said, if you declare me before men, I will declare you before my Father. If you would declare the truth of the Word of God before men, He will declare you before the Father. And that's all you need to know. That's all you need to know. And walk in the truth that you know. If you don't have light on a, such, on a certain subject, just ask God. God, I don't have light on this. I need some light here. If I was in a dark room with you and you know that I always carried a very bright flashlight and you needed it, what would you do? Can you come on over here for a minute? Because you know I had the... We know that Jesus has the light. All we need to do is say, Jesus, can you come on over here for a minute? I need to know. And He will give us light. The Word of God says in James, If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men a little bit. Liberally. 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 Oh, God will give it to you. Father, we stand before you. There's people who hunger after the light. We desire the light. We desire to walk in the light. Oh, what a difference this world is when we walk in the light of the Word of God. When we walk in the darkness of the world, this place is gloomy. It's scary. It's uncertain. It's not peaceful. It's not restful. We're worried. We're concerned. We're afraid. But we walk in the light and fear goes away. We're calm. We're relaxed because we know our life is in your hands. If we were to leave this earth, we'd go with be with you. Oh, how much better is that? We have a problem. We ask you and your word sheds light on it. We thank you for the help that you give us. We desire your word. We desire your light. Once we have become used to your light, no other light will do. Oh, what good it is. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. This week as we walk, we thank you that we will notice the differences between walking in the light and those who walk in darkness. We'll see those that are around us and see the darkness they're walking in and, oh, but thank God that I know the light. We will declare the truth of God's light that others may hear. And we know that some won't take it, but we'll declare it. Oh, we give you the praise and the glory for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Next week, we're going to be still in the area of frustration, but i got a really unique story to tell you about sharing the light with other people. So don't let me forget. And next week, you make sure that I tell you, because lo- I love this story. And I'll tell it to you next week.